Welcome to the Think Orange podcast, where we want to encourage and equip leaders like you who are investing in the faith and future of the next generation. I'm your host, Sojo, and in this season of the podcast, we're talking about what it means to be more human and lead humans in the tension. We're so excited for you to listen to this message by Danielle Strickland at Orange Conference. Danielle Strickland loves Jesus and she loves people. Her aggressive compassion has loved people firsthand in countries all over the world, and she has sought to cultivate authentic Christian community in deprived neighborhoods. Danielle is the author of several books, including Just Imagine, The Social Justice Agenda, Challenging Evil, Dispatches from the Front Lines of Radical Justice, and Boundless, Living Life in Overflow. We can't wait for you to get to learn from her, so let's dive in. I want to talk to you about resilience. Of course I do. And when I was praying about this and praying about you, I was filled with gratitude for you, for what you're doing, for the fact that you're here, and uh, that we get to be together for this, you know, 50 minutes or whatever, even at the end of a long day, and uh, you've already probably inhaled so much information. So what I'd really like to do, I hope, what I'm praying for is that the resiliency that we're after and we need so desperately in these days would, um, oh, it would awaken our minds, but also our hearts, our spirits, that we would be awakened and we would somehow like get imparted to us by the grace of God, a spirit of resiliency together. Okay, so that's what I'm hoping for. I, uh, I wanna talk to you about sort of my top five I wouldn't even say if it's top, but just today, like literally as I was praying for this thing, I'm like, here are the five things I want you to keep in mind when you're talking about resiliency and you're wanting to say, God, how do I hang in there? And not just hang in there, but like I just went to the retirement service of a mentor friend of mine who is as wide-eyed with wonder now about what God has for her next and so filled with gratitude for the life that she's been able to live, who is finishing strong in one phase of her life and still going for the next phase of her ministry in her life. And I remember I was just sitting there witnessing this incredible, you know, just human being who has stayed the course who has been faithful to what God has called her to do with like all the ups and all the downs and all the disappointments and all the hurts and all the joys and all the gratitude on display. And I was like, what a glorious thing. I just was sitting there going like, I want to be that person forever. I wanna be that person. And I just, even sitting there, I was thinking, even the idea that you could be that person in our cultural moment is like a miracle. Right? It's like a miracle because I think this uh, cynicism and despair has kind of embedded itself into our thinking and our hearts. So that we're literally, I think some of us are really thinking like maybe it's impossible to be a good leader for my whole life. Maybe that's an impossibility. Maybe I've aimed too high. Maybe that's like out of reach. And I just felt like God, when I was sitting there witnessing this beautiful life, her and her husband both, and just witnessing, I just felt like the Spirit of God say, it's not only possible, it's the design. (laughs) From glory to glory to glory to glory. This is what God calls us to. So resiliency is a thing. It's a thing. So here's my top five. Number one is I think we really need to wake up spiritually. Um, this is, when I was first started in ministry, I had this dream that just wouldn't go away. It was more like a nightmare. You might've might have heard me say this, but it literally changed the direction of my life. I, I went to bed and I had this dream and the dream was that I was uh, bitten by a spider accidentally. I'd walked through a doorway. It was filled with spider webs. A big fat hairy spider bit me. 
And I walked into this room in my dream and immediately I just felt exhausted. I just felt like I needed to go lie down and ta-da, in the dream, you know, a bed appears. So I'm like, perfect. So I lie down on this bed and as soon as I lie down on the bed, my entire body becomes paralyzed. Like I can't move, but I'm still awake, but I can't move. And then from four corners of the room, these tiny thousands of little spiders come and consume me. It's, everybody take a breath, it's okay, right? Like, I was just like, this is like Satan, not today. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, no, like I will not. Well, cause like one, spiders are from the devil, clear. Uh, and two, I, this isn't in the Bible, but I saw it in a movie. So, you know, you shouldn't die in your dream. That's a thing, right? So I was like, that can't be good. So this is like double, like this is, so I just like went to bed, I had the dream again. And then I like reverted to like really mature Christian discipleship leadership things, like putting the Bible under my pillow and like, right? Like that, that'll do it. So they come back and we're in this prayer meeting. I'll never forget we're in this prayer circle. And one of the intercessors says to me, that's the word, the prayer warrior person. She says to me, um, have you asked God for an interpretation of the dream? And I'm like, dude, I'm not a moron. Like I die, spiders consume me. Like I'm like, it's obviously like a death attack. Like I don't need an interpretation. It seems to me to be very clear. And she goes, well, might I humbly suggest? right? That you just ask God, that maybe there's a meaning to the dream. So I was like, fine. Like I've tried literally everything else. So I'm just like, okay, God, <laughs> last resort, right? Uh, is there a meaning to the dream? And instantly, like literally instantly, I understood the dream. I understood the dream. I like, I literally was like, <gasps> the dream was from God. And what God said to me is that you have walked through a cultural doorway unknowingly, but you have been infected by a spiritual sleepy spirit. You are literally so sleepy when it comes to spiritual things. And what God said to me is that if you succumb to the spirit of sleepiness spiritually, I've got all night to watch the Netflix, all night. But pr wake up early to pray, out of my range. I was so sleepy. I am so sleepy when it comes to spiritual things. I've been infected by a cultural sleepiness. And God said to me, if you succumb to that, if you give into that, if you fall asleep to that spirit, you will be consumed by thousands of things that don't even matter. That's how you'll go out. You won't, I, I mean, I don't mind going out. I just want to go out with a fight. Like I want to go out like with Goliath's head in my hand. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to go out like rage. I want to go out. I just want to go out. Like I'm bringing you with me. Like I want to go out like Samson style, right? Fine, I'm going out. But all you, they're all coming with me. Like that's how I want to go out like that. I don't mind going out. I'm not as scared to die. But I want to be consumed by a thousand things that don't even matter. A thousand things that don't even matter. So I said to God, like, oh man, I don't want, I, what do I do? What do I do? How do I wake up? How do I wake up? And I felt God say to me, you got to wake yourself up. You got to wake yourself up. And you know, if uh, you can do a scriptural study on this later, but literally like wake up is like a big deal in the scripture. <laughs> like God says it over and over and over. Jesus even says it, wake up. At the end of his life, do you remember when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he says to his disciples, do you think you could stay awake and pray with me for like maybe an hour or two? And could they? No, they like have narcolepsy. 
They're always falling asleep. The disciples, you know this, right? They're always falling asleep. They have narcolepsy. Like it's literally a spiritual sleepiness. And I just literally, like, so what I said to God, I need to wake up. I want to wake up. I don't want to give into the spirit. I don't want to be consumed by a thousand things that don't even matter, like worship style or like, I don't know. Like, I mean, oh, it goes on. It's nauseating how many things we give ourselves to that don't matter. Little spiders that come and take bites out of us, the body of Christ over and over again. And it's a little spider, even though I hate spiders and I don't even like spiders, I can take on a spider. Like proportionally, I'm gonna win, right? I just need to stomp it out, right? Like I just need to kill this. I could do it, but I can't if I'm paralyzed. I can't if I'm asleep. And so I was saying to God, like, how do I wake myself up? How do I wake myself up? And, and, And God gave me this other picture of like me driving home at night after working all night and like trying to stay awake in the car. I was driving Canadian winter. I'm driving on this highway. This is a real story. And I'm falling asleep at the wheel. So I do like, I turn up the music like too loud, just like turn it up too loud. I'm like drumming on the, like I'm trying to like stay awake, but I'm still sleeping. So I start smacking myself. Like I'm thinking if someone is driving beside me, I'm Jim Carrey right now, right? Like I am just like next level crazy person smacking my, I'm trying to smack myself. I remember sharing this story one time and somebody was like, you could have pulled over. (laughs) And I was like, the thought never occurred to me. (laughs) Never occurred to me, but anyway smacking myself. I'm pinching myself. Like they're all things that aren't normal. You know what I'm saying? You don't normally do that. And then finally, I am still falling asleep at the wheel. So I do the thing that every Canadian knows never to do in the winter when you're driving in a car. I wind my window down and I just stick my head a little bit out. And it's like, I see blast in my face. And literally when I come into the car, my eyes are like frozen open. I've got like frostbite, but I am awake. I mean, I'm awake. And I saw that picture and I heard the spirit of God say this to me, do that, do that. Willfully embrace whatever you need to do, the discomfort, pinch yourself, smack yourself, put yourself in a place where discomfort, and that's where I started to realize that pain and discomfort is actually awakening agency. You ever heard that? God whispers in your pleasure, but he screams to you in your pain. That's why these seasons that we're in, the more uncomfortable it is, the more uncomfortable it is, the more you should lean in. Wake me up, God. Wake me up. Wake me up spiritually. Wake me up from my comfort and my lethargy and my spiritual like laziness. Wake me up so that I can be alert to what it is that you're doing so I can be awake so that I cannot spend my life on thousands of things that don't even matter. Wake me up. And there was a trajectory in my life where I literally moved from a safe rural community into an urban like jungle of depravity, literally like a drug addicted community, not to save drug addicts, to wake myself up. I went there for myself to wake up, to be alert, to be spiritually attentive, to say like, this is a war that we're in. This is a battle that we're fighting, but on a spiritual level, and we will not be able to win this thing if we're asleep. That's resiliency number one. I'm telling you right now, you wanna be resilient in your leadership. You wanna keep going to the end. You've gotta wake yourself up and you have to prioritize your spiritual alertness above all other things. I really believe this. These times, especially as things get confusing and foggy and dark and uncertain and anxiety driven, you need to wake yourself up spiritually. That's number one, wake up. So wake up. Number two, here's number two, resiliency. Uh, This is wholeness. This is about wholeness. You are spirit, soul, and body. That's who you are. First Thessalonians says this. I pray that God 
would sanctify, which is also to set apart, but it's also to make whole. It's like a shalom image of God, that God would make whole my spirit, soul, and body. And that that wholeness would be evidence of God's beauty on the earth. We have fragmented our lives. We are spirit, soul, and body. By spirit, of course, this is the part of us that connects to the spirit of God, that awakens us on the inside. When Jesus says he's come, that we might have Zoe life, that's that life. Not just biological life, but something else, something tangibly more than an awakeness, an alertness, a metanoia, a like, whoa, there's so much more going on. That Zoe life, that's a spiritual thing that happens on the inside of us. We understand that. But we are also soul. We are mind, will, and emotions. Our mind, will, and emotions are a part of who we are, a part of our Christian witness, a part of what it means to be followers of Jesus. And God wants to bring those things into wholeness. And we are physical beings. Uh, My friend Joe Saxton says, you only have one leadership and it's in your body. You don't lead outside of your body. You lead inside your body. So you pay attention to your body. You don't idolize or worship your body, but your body's a part of your spiritual journey. And that attention to these, these, this wholeness, this journey of wholeness, I mean, we just, we've been so fragmented in our society and in our Christian faith. And one of the greatest, I think one of the greatest resilient practices and offerings that we can give as models of leadership who model holistic living in Jesus, what it means to be really sanctified is not just to protect ourselves from evil, but to be whole. Now, shalom, the concept of shalom, uh, there's a book, Lisa Sharon Harper wrote a book, uh, beautiful, the name's escaping me right now. But anyway, she breaks down the Genesis creation of shalom. And she, in her breakdown of this, she shared something that would forever change the way I think about wholeness. And it's this, she said that the shalom, that peace, that whole rightness, that goodness, that fullness that existed, that God created all of us for, that shalom is not about things being made perfect in and of themselves. Okay, so if you're tracking with me, if you grew up in the church, this idea of like Christian perfection that we've been like raised, I was raised in a holiness movement. So this is all like, I'm aiming to be perfect, but we individualize the idea of that. So we're thinking that the job, my job as a Christian is to be perfect, right? Or blameless or whatever by myself. She said, the concept of shalom is not that every individual thing is made perfect, but that the way every individual thing works with every other thing is perfect. Now, that sounds like a little bit of a, but think about it for a second. It's not that I'm perfect in and of myself. It's that the way that I'm connected, the way that I interplay, the way that I work with others, the way that I even I work with my own parts of myself, that's made perfect. Paul talks about this in Romans where he says, I'm no longer at war with myself. This is what God does. I'm no longer in a battle with my own self, with the parts of me, but I've actually made peace with God, with my spirit. I've made peace with my mind, will, and emotions. No longer wrestling through those things all the time, secret sin, trying to hide, trying to appear, trying to do, trying to, and I'm actually at peace even in my body. I'm at peace here. And that peace is the way that we relate to ourselves. And I would just say, pay attention 
Pay attention to your anxiety. Pay attention to your tension. Pay attention to the, your, your rhythms of life, your body, your rest, your not rest. Pay attention to the way that you're frazzled and you can't concentrate because your body has enough to sleep or doesn't eat properly or doesn't drink any water. Those things are spiritual things. Pay attention to your emotions and the way that you're dealing with those things or not dealing with those things and get some help. Get some help for those things and pay attention. Of course, your spirit has awakened. Wholeness. Um, there's a new counseling theory called IFS. If you haven't heard of it, there's a beautiful book called Altogether You. I highly recommend it by Jenna Reisma. And in uh, IFS, uh, the, and actually there's like 10,000 counselors lined up to get trained in this because they're having such incredible success with this counseling technique. And basically the counseling technique is wholeness. <laughs> it's wholeness. And a lot of our technique up until this time, even in our own lives, have been about behavior modification, right? It's been about behavior modification. But actually when you get to the source of the problem in the world, and you get to the source of the problem inside of us, it's fragmentation. It's disconnection. And that this idea of welcoming even ourselves back into a holistic framework, into a sanctified place to say, Jesus, I'm gonna need you as the spirit at the center of this thing to bring me back into shalom. I need to be at peace with myself. This is gonna be a game changer in your life. Uh, number three is what I call um, be human. <laughs> and this is this conference, but be human. And what I mean by that is uh, expose and shed what I call the Hercules syndrome. So I think there's uh, two things that are at the heart of a lot of our fragmentation and a lot of our lack of resiliency. Two things that are fueling cynicism and despair in our own leadership, and it's this. I think it's us trying to be better than we really are. So it's this relentless ascension I'm gonna to talk to you about that in a second. And I think it's also this deep belief that we're horrible. And if not horrible, then maybe I, maybe I need to put it like this. It's this deep belief embedded, especially in, in Christian circles, we have this deep embedded belief that we're not enough. Those two things compete with themselves and they look different, but they're actually the same thing, okay? So I was sharing uh, before, Hercules is this idea. Hercules is this myth. He's part human, he's part God, right? This is the myth of Hercules. Anybody see the movie with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, who was Hercules, right? So if ever there was a God man, <laughs> there he was. And I didn't say that, my husband said that, okay? So... We were like sitting in a theater watching that show. My husband's like, how does he get those traps? Like, I don't, how, how? Anyway, so uh, in the movie, there's this scene and the movie premise of Dwayne Johnson's version is that Hercules is not part God. He's just pretending to be part God. He's, he's allowed this myth to kind of take over because it's good for his business as a mercenary. And so he gets hired to do a lot of these things. But actually... It's impossible to do what Hercules does as part God. So what he does is on the side, he hires a secret team. 
and the secret team, he'll go into the front of the battle and he'll like wage war against like a six-headed monster or whatever. And his secret team will like go in behind and they'll all defeat this monster together. That then the secret team will exit stage left and Hercules will like exit cape flying, sword drawn, behold the great and mighty Hercules. Everyone will go, ah, he's a God, he's a God. And Hercules spends his whole life ascending. He spends his whole life trying to prove that he's better than every other human on the planet. It sounds like most leaders I know. We spend our whole lives ascending. We spend our whole lives trying to appear better than the average human. It's fascinating to me. So I'm in the middle of this movie and there's this scene in the front of the movie where Hercules is fighting in this battle and he gets nicked in the shoulder by one of the enemy and he starts to bleed and the captain of his secret team sees it from across the battle. So he comes over through the, through the battle, through the front line of the battle on this horse and he gets to Hercules and he gets off of his horse and he comes over to Hercules and he covers his shoulder with his cape and he whispers in his ear, never let them see you bleed. And then I was seeing this movie. I'm like, I kid you not, the screen just goes completely black. And all I see next is Jesus bleeding everywhere. I just see the crucified Christ exposed, naked, defeated, crucified, bleeding everywhere. I mean, we sing about his blood. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you can be Hercules or you can be Jesus, but you can't be both. Hercules is ascending, trying to prove, trying to please, trying to show by his very gravitas that he's better than the average human. Jesus is descending. Quite literally, theologically, this is the wonder of the incarnation that Jesus, not although he was God, by the way, in that scripture in Philippians, uh, I, I read that my whole life until I ran into a, a professor uh, in biblical studies from Regent College and, and his name's Daryl Johnson, well worth uh, having a look at his stuff. And I asked him one day in a podcast, I said, what has most astounded, like what is a biblical theological truth that has just like blown your mind? Like tell me the thing that you discovered in your theological training, your study of the Bible that's just blowing your mind. And he shared three things about Jesus that was still blowing his mind. And again, he's a guy that's been at it for a long time. He's approaching retirement age and he's like a child with the Bible. Like it's the coolest thing. He's just like, ah, and then it says this, and then it does this, and then Jesus says this. And I'm just like, ah, oh, yes, tell me more. And he said, one of, the, one of the three parts about Jesus that is blowing his mind after all of his life of theological study, he said, is Philippians, where it says that, you know that passage, although Jesus was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he left all that and he entered and became human, right? It's the kenosis, it's the self-emptying of God in order to come to humanity. It's the incarnation, it's a miracle. It's like, woo! that's my God. But he said, I read that my whole life as although Jesus was God, as though there was this cosmic fight, as though Jesus, and I, I picture it like this, there's like a conversation with the Trinity going, well, someone's got to go rescue those guys. And everyone's like, the Holy Spirit looks at the Father and the Father's like, mm, and the Father looks at the Spirit, and the Spirit's like, I'm Spirit, you know? And then the Spirit, they're all just awkwardly and Jesus is like, oh, okay, fine, I'll go. Right? Like there's this like, oh, I could stay here, but there's this like cosmic struggle. But, but Daryl Johnson said, actually in the Greek, it doesn't say although, it says because. 
because Jesus was God. What? He said, think about this. Although Jesus was God is like this, ah, I guess someone has to do it. This begrudging idea that Jesus has to do this. But what if it says, because Jesus was God, he doesn't consider equality to, with God something to be grasped. Because he's God, he can't wait to come to humanity. He created humanity sacred and good. He has this experiment of humanity. He doesn't despise it. He doesn't look on humanity and go, Ugh, you guys are grossing me out. Jesus comes because he's God to take on the human form, to restore to humanity its rightful place. He's the new Adam, guys. This is like good news. Jesus as a human being in flesh and blood shows us that being a human being is good. And it was intended to be good. And you were intended to be good. And you were created. And this thing is sacred. And that should blow our minds. And one of the things about Jesus, which is fascinating to note, is as a human being, his favorite title for himself. You can read in scripture yourself, read all through the gospels. This is what Jesus does. He goes around introducing himself. Hi, I'm Jesus, the son of man. Do you know what the son of man is translated? It literally is the human one. <laughs> That's what it means. The son of man is the human one. Jesus is going around. Hi, I'm Jesus. I'm human. Hi, I'm Jesus. I'm human. I'm human. Jesus, Jesus over here, human. Son of man, absolutely. Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, yes. And human. Hercules is ascending. Jesus is descending. Jesus is not apologizing for being human. He's proud of it. Later on in, uh, in, in the epistles, Paul will put it together and he'll say, this is why I can boast in my weakness. This is why I can actually just go like, yeah, I'm not the greatest. <laughs> I've got weaknesses. Like I've got limitations. There's like things I can't do. And you know what's so good about that? This jar of clay, this human being, this is not a tragedy I'm living. This is a strategy of God. Because my limitations, my jars of clay, my humanness is the way to determine that the glory of God that you see in me, the things that I'm doing that can't be done, those things that are incredible, that's God, not me. That's God, that's not me. The sooner you can shed the Hercules myth, the better we'll be, the better we'll be. And in my experience of leaders in the church and even working with leaders in the church, they confuse this. And it's not just them that confuse it. I mean, why do you think the people chose Barabbas instead of Jesus? They want Hercules. People want you to be Hercules. People want you to ascend. People want to center people who are ascending. We love it. We love the myth. We keep it alive. That's what some of our systems and structures do. So there is an intentional decision that you make to walk in the opposite spirit of that. And that's costly, but it's also liberating. This is the way of Christ. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Right? I'm Danielle and I'm human. Welcome. Now what's cool about this is it leads us to resiliency number um, four, which is that because we're human, once we get that straight, once we're no longer trying to please and prove that we're better than the average human, guess what we could do? <laughs> we could live together. We could, we could actually celebrate and enjoy the other humans around us. 
Imagine if we could just do that. Imagine if we could let people into our lives and them know that we're human too and it be okay. Imagine if we could get honest and real and authentic. Now, my buddy Phil Wall, he's a leadership coach and uh, him and I and a couple of other friends uh, created this thing called Infinitum Life, which is this rhythms of life, these practices, these postures, these like ways of like connecting with each other. I'm gonna lead you through a prayer in a second just with each other that has been like mind-blowing for me in this space. But this idea is once you come to yourself, once you are authentically who you are and you're right with yourself, once you stop defragmenting and hiding even from yourself and you bring your whole spirit, soul, and body together, you're spiritually awake, you're whole, you're human. And you're okay with that because Jesus was okay with that. And you're, it's not a, uh, don't blame me because I'm only human after all. It's not an excuse for all the bad things you can figure out how to do and let everybody down. That's not what I mean. I mean, you come into agreement with who God says you are and how God made you. There's a liberating place where you're no longer so terrible as a human being that you can stop the self-loathing and what I call the theology of despair. And you can join God in a genuine fight against sin and against oppression and against fear and against shame and against death because we're on the same side, <laughs> right? Once you get to that place, you can actually start to see the sacredness in other people. You can actually start to see the beautifulness of their ordinariness. You can actually start to see the way that actually we were made not just for peace within me, shalom, but this is the only way shalom really happens. This is the only way shalom really happens. Our, inter our interconnectedness with each other is the only way we're gonna get through this thing with any kind of resiliency. In other words, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. I need you and you need me. And this is not, nobody needs me because I'm on some ascension. I actually literally need people. I'm not just saying that to sound humble. I once did a, a whole uh, speaking tour in England called um, Pharisees Anonymous, where I just admitted to being a Pharisee. And I created a club called Pharisees Anonymous and invited all my religious friends to join me. It's just like, because the first step to recovery is to admit, right? And I was just like, I admit it, I'm a Pharisee. Like my natural intention, my natural bent just as a religious person is to appear better than I actually am. And this is why it's probably just a good idea for all religious people everywhere to find a 12-step program and watch how telling the truth looks. It's so refreshing. It's like, actually, when you first begin as a religious leader, if you ever get a chance to go into a 12-step meeting and just listen to people tell the truth about their humanness, it's the most paralyzing, fearful, crazy. You're just like, you just said that out loud. Right? You're just like, dude, too much. Like every impulse within me as a religious person is to actually appear better than I am. And there's something about actually getting honest and truthful and authentic and whole that liberates us to be the people that we are and that then gives permission for one another to be uh, human too. Could it be that, you know, so just even today I had a problem with my family. I had a thing that happened in my family and I wasn't home and I couldn't help. But I have a friend who uh, became a Jesus follower, comes from a Muslim background. She's a refugee, but we, we've become really good friends. And uh, I knew that she had some time on her hands and I had an extra car and I gave her a call and I said, is there any way you could just make this trip, go pick up my mom, like, could you help me out? And she said to me, uh, yeah, I would love to help you out. And she's on her way and I phone her and I tell her the story and I just say, I'm so, like, I'm so upset. I can't be there myself to do this. Like, this is a thing I would have loved to do for my mom and I can't do it. 
And my friend said to me, oh, you're doing it. You're doing it. I got you. Now, if you were looking at my relationship with that woman from outside, you would say, oh, isn't it so nice of Danielle to be so kind to that refugee? That's what you would say. That's what I, that would be the Hercules myth. Like, I'm so awesome of a Christian leader that I like, I help refugees in my spare time. That's the myth. That's the one we're gonna spill. Put that in a book. Let's publish that. Let's put that up. And let's just say like, isn't that, ta-da, she's a better human than most. But the truth is, the absolute truth is, I am being authentically human and I need her as a friend in my life. And she needs me. And that mutuality, that connection, that like give and take, that like we're being human together and some of the things that you need, I can provide and some of the things that I need, you can provide. And the more honest and authentic and open we can get with each other, the better the shalom, the bigger the shalom. And I'm not talking about codependency, like go back to step number two. I'm talking about this like ever increasing shalom that if we let each other off the hook of being better than we think we are and being worse than we actually are, we could actually love each other authentically for who we are. Now, my friend, Phil Wall, he said that he was talking, he's gonna move to America, he's English. And he said he was talking to a friend of his and asking for advice. And his friend said, you know, it's fascinating with Americans. This is what he said to him. This is what I wanna tell you. Because I, I was just like, whoa, this might, be good. this might be something. He said, with English people, your external walls are high. I don't know if you know any English people, but they are. It's just like, I'm fine, thank you very much. Like everything's just like at a, you know, they're external walls. But he said, once you bridge, once you breach that external wall, your internal walls are really low. So like once you get past that external wall, you're just like, you're like friends. Like you're actually really friends and you have this authentic relationship and things are really cool. He said in America, it's the opposite. The external walls are super low, super low. Hey, how are you? Glad you're here. Like all this like, but he said the internal walls, they're Jericho. They're Jericho. And I just was like, whoa, that is so. So when we do this infinitum practice, this thing that I created, one of the things we do is a daily prayer. We just check in and we practice and we get really intentional about not just talking about good things, but actually living them. It's been a game changer, by the way. This is part of my Pharisees Anonymous. What? You can live out your theology and not just think it? Wow. Game changer, right? But one of the practices is every week or every other week, we confess our sins to one another. We get into a group, we actually get honest and authentic and we share about like what's actually happening in our own humanness and our own journey. And you know, we have probably about 20,000 people around the world that practice infinitum. The number one area of struggle for almost all of them, the number one feedback we get for people who are trying to practice infinitum is the connecting with other people. It's the number one, they just can't do it. Most of the people don't even know how. People write into us, Christian leaders, I can't think of one person that I could really be authentically honest with. What? You know, that quote that's rolling on this thing, you know, we, we, we don't have peace because we forgot we belong to each other is true. Mother Teresa again, right? Jeepers. She's given us so much. We need each other. So here's what I do. I want you to stand up and do this posture with me. So uh, we'll do this real quick. So this posture I practice every day 
Uh, you might know this, some of you might know this. Uh, it never gets old for me. I literally do this every day because I wanna live out and embody, you know, my whole spirit, soul, and body. I wanna live out this authentic whole life. You know, I don't wanna please, I don't wanna prove, I don't wanna get caught and all that kind of stuff. So I raise my hands up, so raise your hands up, and I just say like, I surrender, God, I'm yours today. Just, yeah, just give it a go, it's fun. I surrender, God, I'm all yours today. <laughs> Yeah, and then I hold my hands out. This is a posture of generosity, which is reciprocal, by the way. And I just say, God, I need some stuff today. And then I ask for what I need. This is crazy, I know, but Jesus told us to do this. Just ask for what you need today. What do you need? I need, I need patience. I need some forgiveness in my life right now. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ask for the forgiveness so that I can freely, freely give it. <laughs> Right? I'm gonna ask for strength, peace, courage. What do you need? Wisdom. Ask for it. It's yours. And then I just make this decision every day. I just say, everything that I've so freely received, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give it away. <laughs> I'm just gonna give it away. Okay, and then the final posture is I just open my open my posture up. Yeah, like a big hug to the world. And I, I, I say that my natural posture is that like I stay disconnected and cynical and from a distance, but I make this decision every day to say, I'm open. I'm open to others. I'm open to the lost. I'm open uh, to the needy. I'm open to those people standing right beside me. I'm here and I'm open. You're welcome in my life. That's the three prayers that I pray. Now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. It's gonna get awkward and I'm okay with it. It's never gonna be as awkward as Albert, so we're good. Okay, and as you wrap it up, there's just one more thing. I told you my top five. So the first is to wake up spiritually. The second is uh, wholeness, to aim to be at peace within ourselves. The third thing is to be humble and human. The fourth thing is we need each other to be humble and human together, which is connection and community. And then the final thing, and this is just, I think, at least in my life, this is helping me nurture a spirit of resilience and is this, be curious over judgmental. Just be curious. I just think curiosity might be the, like literally might be the remedy for what's ailing us right now. Just get curious. Wide-eyed curiosity. Tell me more. Help me understand I need to know, <laughs> like, I am so cute. This is true with the Bible. It's true with Jesus. As you deconstruct all the things that you thought you knew and now you don't know, like, welcome to the human dilemma. It's all good. <laughs> Get curious about Jesus. If he's not there, where is he? Where is he at work? Where can I find him? What's going on? I remember hearing Bob Goff years ago in a living room and him saying uh, to my friends, let me tell you about Bob number one. And he just shared like, like as a kid, like coming to know Jesus. And let me show you about Bob number two. When he like met his wife and like his girlfriend who then was his wife. He's like, let me tell you about Bob number three. He was like a really big achieving lawyer. He was like a big deal or so he thought. And then let me tell you about Bob number four. Oh yeah, that's the guy who like cashed in the keys, threw them on the desk and then went out to like try to help the world with some meaningful thing. Let me tell you about Bob number five. Let me tell you about Bob number six. I'm just like, how many Bobs are there? And he said, I, I think there's gonna be a whole lot more to come. And he said, here's who I feel really sorry for. I, I feel really sorry for people who are still on number one. We are in a journey of discovery. I mean, we are entering, like spiritually, think about this. Salvation is not the destination, it's the arrival. It's, it, it's the beginning. 
this wide, boundless life in Christ that I enter into through an initial relationship with Jesus and then opens into eternity. Like, Like literally in heaven, they're never gonna stop going, holy. That's how they say it, I'm sure. Holy. I saw my buddy, he used to be a, a druggie like a week before this revelation, but still he read revelation. He goes, I think I get it now. And I was like, tell me more. And he goes, they're just gonna like take one look and there's gonna be like, holy. And then they're just gonna look again. There's gonna be like, holy. And they're gonna look again and they're never gonna stop saying it, Danielle. And I was like, I think he understood it correctly. We're never gonna stop saying it. There's just more, there's more guys. And that spirit of curiosity, like tell me more, help me understand. I wanna discover where is Jesus at work would rescue us so much from this like, what's wrong? What's wrong with the world? What's the judgment on the world? What's the, but what is Jesus inviting me to? What does Jesus have for us next? What is Jesus trying to say to us? Like, what do I do? What about you? Tell me more about your experience. I need to understand, help me know. I mean, gosh, curiosity. That's one of the recipes for resilience. So there it is, my top five. Wake up, <laughs> be whole, be human, be together, and be curious. We want to thank Danielle for sharing how we can be resilient leaders. If you like this episode, we'd also love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love this review by Casey. She said, each episode brings in practical, immediately applicable tips for leaders and volunteers in preschool, kids, and student ministry. Love that the podcast is also easy and fun to listen to. Thanks for the review, Casey. We would love for you to join us at Orange Tour to continue learning what it means to lead humans. Go to orangetour.org to save your seat for one of our one-day training event for leaders and volunteers in a city near you. We'll see you next time on a Think Orange podcast.